Do you wonder how the ancient truth of the Bible intersects with today's news? Do you believe in God's promises to the people and the land of Israel? Welcome to the Lone Star Podcast, a weekly conversation to expand your mind and encourage your soul. Our hosts live in the two Lone Star states, Rabbi Dove Lippman in Israel and Pastor Trey Graham in Texas. This podcast is your opportunity to learn the truth about the God of Israel from two people who love Israel. Please follow us on Twitter at Lone Star Podcast to learn when new weekly episodes are ready. You ready to be encouraged? Please join Rabbi Dove Lipman and Pastor Trey Graham. It is so great to join you on the Lone Star Podcast. This is Pastor Trey Graham and my friend Rabbi Dove Lipman is joining me right now. Rabbi Lipman, Hag Sameach, Happy Hanukkah. So good to talk to you, my friend. Thank you so much. Happy Hanukkah to you. Happy holiday season to everyone uh, of our listeners and uh Really a special time in Israel where you, uh, you have a, a holiday spirit in, in a way which is difficult to describe, where you just you feel, you feel Hanukkah in the air, so it's a great time. We do want to talk about Hanukkah, especially to give some insights for our Christian audience in a moment, but let's first start with the current event, maybe the biggest one in several weeks, and that is the speech given by President Donald Trump about the city of Jerusalem. And uh, for our listeners to know, Rabbi Lippman knows we were together. We were in Israel when the speech was given. It was an exciting night in Israel. And what I want to do is set the scene that the President of the United States made a speech last Wednesday in the White House, and he said that the United States would finally recognize what everyone who knows Israel already knows, and that is the capital of the Jewish state is the city of Jerusalem. And he said that it's time for America to do what's right, that after 22 years since the U.S. Congress passed a law requiring the American State Department to move the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, a law that has been waived every six months for 22 years by Presidents Bill Clinton and George W. Bush and Barack Obama, Donald Trump says he's going to do what the American people said is right, what we believe is biblically right. And Rabbi, I want us to talk about it, but first of all, let me play this clip of the president's speech for our audience. My announcement today marks the beginning of a new approach to conflict between Israel and the Palestinians. In 1995, Congress adopted the Jerusalem Embassy Act, urging the federal government to relocate the American embassy to Jerusalem and to recognize that that city and so importantly, is Israel's capital. This act passed Congress by an overwhelming bipartisan majority and was reaffirmed by unanimous vote of the Senate only six months ago. Yet for over 20 years, every previous American president has exercised the law's waiver, refusing to move the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem or to recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital city. Presidents issued these waivers under the belief that delaying the recognition of Jerusalem would advance the cause of peace. Some say they lacked courage, but they made their best judgment based on facts as they understood them at the time. Nevertheless, the record is in. After more than two decades of waivers, we are no closer to a lasting peace agreement between Israel and the Palestinians. It would be folly to assume that repeating the exact same formula would now produce a different or better result. Therefore, I have determined 
that it is time to officially recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. And then later on in the speech, President Trump said this. Consistent with the Jerusalem Embassy Act, I am also directing the State Department to begin preparation to move the American Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. When we hear those words in Israel, Pastor, it's uh, praise the Lord is the first thing that comes to mind. You know, we internally know that Jerusalem is our capital, and we don't need anyone to verify, verify that. The Bible says it is the Word of God. But there is that moment where you hear a, a, the President of the United States say what you know should have been said for so long. There's no other capital in the world which is defined by anybody other than the country itself. All the embassies are in the capitals of the country's name. And Jerusalem's our capital, and not having the embassy there made us feel there's, there's something lacking here. There's a lack of respect, there's a lack of honor, there's a lack of dignity, and there's a gap that, that exists in this friendship. And in hearing those words that he's instructing the embassy to be moved, that in just one moment takes away, not questions, but that that difficulty, that challenge, uh, that inconsistency, and, and rectifies the truth and, and puts things where they belong. And that is, the embassies belong in the capital, and the capital is Jerusalem. And that's why that statement and that act to come, why they're so important. The president gave a very good speech. He didn't go as far as I would have gone if I had written the speech. He called Jerusalem the capital of the state of Israel, which it is. As you mentioned, Jerusalem is mentioned more than 700 times in the Bible. If you count the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's called by about 70 different names in the Bible. He didn't use a phrase that's important to me. I know it's important to you, Rabbi, and that is he didn't call Jerusalem the eternal undivided capital of Israel. He just called it the capital of Israel. Talk about why those two adjectives, eternal and undivided, are so important. So first of all, eternal uh, makes the statement very clear. This is not some decision being made by uh, a human being which is subject to human beings changing, but it's the Word of God. And it's so clear for anyone who's a person of faith and reads the Bible uh, that this is the case. So uh, you know, we can't decide, or some other body, whether it's the United States or the United Nations or anybody else, cannot decide that something else is the capital because it's been determined been determined by God, and that's the eternal nature of it. Uh, in theory, in America, there could be a decision that's made at some point to make the capital uh, Omaha, Nebraska, instead of Washington, D.C., and put it in the center of the country. And that's a decision that human beings can make. We don't have the right to even change the capital because it's been declared and determined by God, and that's where the eternal uh, eternal uh, nature comes from. In terms of undivided, we in Israel, it's a consensus in Israel. It's a consensus issue when I say consensus, uh, it's from right wing to left wing, except for the extreme left, that Jerusalem is our capital. We don't divide our capital, just like nobody asks uh, England to divide London, and no one's going to ask America to divide Washington, D.C., and siphon off half of it somewhere else. We don't divide our capital. Our capital is ours. Uh, an undivided Jerusalem means peace and all faiths being able to worship. A divided Jerusalem means war and means faiths not having freedom to worship in the Holy Land. And and it would be it would have been nice to hear that. I understand that there's some politics being played with uh, the whole Palestinian cause and and maybe other Arab countries that wouldn't want to hear that. Uh, but uh, yes, I agree with you wholeheartedly that those two 
statements would have really rounded rounded out the entire thing. I'll go one step further. Had he said, you know, I'm moving the embassy, I'm moving the ambassador tomorrow uh, to live in a home there and the consulate, and, and then we'll move the embassy to do something practical. That would have been the, the final step, so to speak. But again, we celebrate uh, the progress. We're thankful for the words of support. And at this point, as a country, we'll take what we can get. Our American audience needs to understand, especially the American Christians who are listening, that one of the most important campaign promises Donald Trump made to evangelical voters was this, to stand with Israel, to support Jerusalem as the capital of the Jewish state, and to move the embassy from Tel Aviv, which is not the capital, it's a major city in Israel, it's just not the capital, to Jerusalem where it should be. And so the president made this promise in the campaign. He has now kept this promise. The only question is, when will it happen? And we don't want to see him drag this out for years and years. We want to see him do the right thing and do it as quickly as possible. And we've already seen other nations around the world are following suit because when America leads for right, other people will follow. And sadly, when America leads for wrong, for unrighteousness, other nations will follow. And so, Rabbi, the last question on this topic is, when the United States places its ambassador in the capital of Jerusalem, there was a threat of there'll be violence. There's been a little bit of violence, nothing like the media has predicted or even tried to promote. And so people said, don't make this decision because it might cause violence from those on the other side, those who are espousing a Palestinian state or those who want to make Jerusalem a divided city. The question is, and I asked this of the politician Dove Lippmann, why should America give in to the threats of violence? Why should Israel give in to the threats of violence? Why don't we do what is right and expect people on the other side of the argument to do what is right. I think that I think that people living in America uh, can study their own history and and realize that the the, the greatest decisions that were made that impacted history uh, were made by people who weren't afraid of the consequences, weren't afraid of threats, weren't afraid of you know what's going to happen next. And you can go from the founding of the United States uh, and 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 the War of Independence. You can go through towards Civil War. You can go through towards World War II. You can go through dropping the bomb on Japan. Decisions that had to be made where leaders said, this is what needs to be done right now. This is what I need to do for my people and my country. And, and, and we'll deal with the consequences that, that may or may not come. And, and not to let uh, especially terrorists uh, dictate what should or shouldn't happen. And Israel has always been that way. Israel has always been a country which stood up and did what it needs to do, especially when it comes to uh, its security. But And Jerusalem is a security issue. It's the heart and soul of the Jewish people in Israel. It's what keeps us going. It's what we've been yearning for for 2,000 years. And therefore, uh, we were fully prepared for anything that could come uh, you're correct that God blessed us, and certainly there's a lot of prayer here, and I have no doubt from our Christian friends as well that things should be peaceful, and and decisions were made. And look, lo and behold, uh, things work out in the end. Where we deal with the, the protests that are there. Uh, you know, I ask you, as someone uh, who is a Christian leader, uh, what does your what does your faith teach about about making uh, decisions of right and wrong uh, in the face of of possible violence or, or, or threats that are made towards you? two thoughts come to mind. One is a cliche. It is always right to do right, and it's always wrong to do wrong. And the other one is, 
a belief, a philosophy that we trust God. We believe He is our protector. He is our shield. He is our refuge. And when we make an act that is correct and is courageous in the, the, despite threats, we believe God will protect us. We believe God will protect a leader or a church or a nation if they are walking in His will, if they're trying to be obedient to Him. And one of the things that many Americans have been praying for Donald Trump is he would have the courage to do things that are right, biblically right, morally right, in the face of threats of violence from other nations and the threats of political attacks upon him in media scandals or all of these things, we pray that he will have the courage to do what is right. Now, Rabbi, you know at West Point, we learned something called the cadet prayer. And part of the cadet prayer, one of the lines is, have the courage to choose the harder right over the easier wrong. And that's been the prayer I've had for this president, that he would choose in this instance and in others to do the harder right. And, 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 and certainly in this case, those prayers have at least begun uh, to bear fruit. We're so appreciative uh, for them. And we just hope that we see the rest of the process, uh, process play out. And, and again, no one, you know, it, it, it really, <laughs> I, I heard that either right before or right after uh, his announcement, the State Department announced a warning that people shouldn't travel to Israel for two weeks. And it just made me laugh. Here we are, we're functioning, our kids are going in and out, going places, Jerusalem, living life as usual, not afraid of what's going to happen. The security forces are prepared. Uh, yes, uh, my son, who's in the Army, was held on this base longer just to make sure that they weren't going to be needed for any kind of an operation. And he's sitting thousands of miles away, the State Department says people shouldn't travel there. People of faith should travel here, come here, visit here, and just like we live our lives here, enjoy the, the Holy Land and, and not live life uh, in fear when it comes to doing the right thing. Now we want to turn our attention to the holiday season. It is Hanukkah. And it has just begun this week, and our Jewish friends around the world in America, in Israel, and other places are celebrating the eight days of Hanukkah. And our American Christian audience sees this and knows a little bit about this, but we're going to turn to our Rabbi Dove Lippmann. Give us the story of Hanukkah, please. So if we go back uh, just historically for a moment, uh, we had King Solomon who built the first temple on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Uh, that was destroyed by the Babylonians, by a leader named Nebuchadnezzar. We went into exile for 70 years, returned uh, actually with the permission of, of some of the uh, leaders of the time, and rebuilt a, a temple. It was uh, called the Second Temple. Uh, it was this uh, period of time where the Jewish people did not return en masse uh, to the land of Israel, sadly, uh, but a temple was built, and we came under Greek rule. Uh, during that time. We're talking now about uh, 2,300 years ago, somewhere in that range. And during that Greek reign, there was, a, there was a real attempt to strip the Jewish people of their spiritual nature. It wasn't a physical battle. You know, we go to the Holocaust in recent history, there was a decision to annihilate physically the Jewish people. Here, there wasn't that kind of a uh, determination, but the Greeks wanted to see everyone Hellenized. They wanted to see everyone follow the Greek culture, which was a worship of the human being and a, a moving away from worshiping of God. And the Jewish people, some gave in to that temptation and some didn't. And the Greeks eventually uh, came through and defiled the temple. They realized the temple on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem is the heart and soul of the Jewish spiritual nature. And they defiled it, they made it contaminated in all kinds of ways, did all kinds of horrible things, even immoral acts in that temple, and essentially wasn't usable uh, uh, for a period of time. 
And that really shut down uh, religious Judaism and spiritual Judaism. And a band of, of brothers, uh, Judah Maccabee and his brothers, rose up, developed an army, and fought against the Greeks. So first and foremost, a military action. Uh, but they did so with righteousness. And the cry was, Mila Hashem Eli, who, 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 that's for God, come with me, and fought against these Greeks. I mean, literally, uh, Pastor, this is literally the story on a certain level of 1948, where you have a group of refugees here uh, fighting against you know, the, the, Arab, the massive Arab armies all around us. And with God's help, we defeated those enemies, got to the temple. And when they came to rededicate the temple, after they cleared it of its contamination, they found that there was no pure oil. There are rules that I can't get into now just for time reasons of what kind of oil uh, can be used. It was to light the candelabra, what we call the menorah in the temple. All of the oil was abused and contaminated and not usable. And they found one little flask of oil that had the seal of the high priest that could be used for the menorah. And they knew that it would take them a whole week to get new oil because there's a process to make it. And they lit that menorah and uh, God's grace shined on the people. And that menorah stayed lit. Uh, that one flask of oil that was just for one day lit for eight days. And that was a symbol to the Jewish people of we're in the lowest moment right now. Our temple has been defiled and contaminated. We're trying to rebuild ourselves. God is with us. And with God, anything can happen because there's no natural way to explain one flask of oil lighted up, staying lit for all eight days. And uh, they were able to bring new oil at that point and continue on with the temple service. And a little while after that, when they, they realized the magnitude of what was happened and finished off some of the physical battle, they established this holiday of Hanukkah, which is rededication. And part of the service that we have is every single night, we light a candle with the menorah. We have a menorah in our homes and uh, with eight stems. First night, we light one light. Next night, two lights. We build our way up because we move up in holiness. And every single night, we light the menorah. It shines to the outside world. And we remind ourselves that spirituality, that's what will bring light to the darkness of the world around us. And we want to magnify the miracle. We talk about it. There's a lot of singing and, and festive getting together and, and all kinds of uh, traditions, including the children getting gifts and including games that we play. It's a real family environment. But again, with the focus of God can make anything happen. And we actually have a prayer called Al-Hanisim, which we say in the daily prayers, where we say, Bayamim hahem basman hazeh. In these, day, in, in the, these days, uh, in our times. And for us living in Israel, we certainly can value that. As we're talking, there are sirens going off in various cities in the south and missiles that are being shot at us. And we continue with the faith in God. We know that we'll withstand whatever comes our way. Because if they were able to do that then, that little light of, uh, a little jar of oil was able to go all eight days, way beyond the laws of nature. Once you believe in God, once you're a person of faith, and you're adherent uh, to his, his wishes, you don't have to worry about functioning within the natural world because supernatural things uh, start to happen, and that is very much a celebration of Hanukkah. For our Christian audience, a couple of thoughts about how we can observe and celebrate and learn from Hanukkah. First thing you need to know, this story 
of the Maccabees and taking back and rededicating the temple that Rabbi Lippman just told us occurs in what Christian students of the Bible call the intertestamental period. There's about 400 years of history between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. That period of time is called the intertestamental period in Christian Bible study. That's where the Hanukkah story takes place. So you won't read that passage in actual New Testament or Old Testament scriptures, that battle story or the relighting of the temple menorah story. Another thing our Christian audience needs to know, that Jesus himself celebrated Hanukkah. If you read John chapter 10, verse 22, it says that then came the feast of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple area, walking in Solomon's colonnade. So we as Christians have the wonderful opportunity to celebrate Hanukkah, a miracle that God performed for his people, the Jews. Jesus himself celebrated Hanukkah as a man when he walked on the earth. And when you learn about the lessons of the menorah and the light of God and the light representing good and truth and righteousness, we as Christians who follow after Jesus know that he said in John chapter 8, verse 12, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So we understand that this light that represents God, that represents purity and holiness and righteousness and truth, Jesus is the one who can live that out. So he not only celebrated Hanukkah as a man, but we believe he is God and he is the light of the world himself. So Rabbi, it's a great time for Christians and Jews to come together to celebrate this joint holiday that we can share, the holiday of Hanukkah. Absolutely, and and you know where whereas our fo- our focus would jump uh, straight to God and and the, but the notion of of where the light comes from, the notion of you know how we deal with times of darkness or being surrounded by darkness, uh, that is something which we absolutely share. The, you know, you, you'll you'll hear singing in Israel around this time is a song Banu Choshech Ligaresh. We've come to get rid of the darkness uh, from the world. And, and that's a, a, a theme, which I believe that both of our faiths not only share, but must work together to accomplish. Now, in this understanding of Christians and Jews working together, it's time to talk about something we promise our listeners every week, and that is a discussion of the parashah, the weekly Torah portion that Jews around the world study together. And so as the pastor and the rabbi talking, we're going to discuss this week's Torah portion. In Hebrew, it's called miketz, the phrase that means at the end. And this comes from Genesis chapters 41 through 44, the very interesting story of a man named Joseph. Now, it's almost Christmas time here in America, so this is not the Joseph of Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus in the New Testament. This is Joseph from the book of Genesis, the brother who was sold into slavery by his older brothers, and he ends up in a jail cell in Egypt. He ends up as a servant. Finally, he is raised up to a position of prominence under the Pharaoh. And at the beginning of this Torah portion, Genesis chapter 41, Joseph has these dreams. And he has the dreams about cows that come up out of the the Nile and then they're eaten. And then he has this dream about ears of grain and they're eaten up by this other grain. And so the idea that we get from these dreams is that the victory will be given by the Lord to those who are faithful and those who are obedient, those who are patient. Talk about the beginning of our story in the dreams of Joseph. Really, really quite remarkable uh, to see how, you know, you, go, you study the whole story of Joseph, and from beginning to end, it's the story of dreams. It's Joseph himself had the dreams in the previous portion about 
uh, how he's going to ascend uh, to being a leader. But then you have the Pharaoh himself with his dreams and Joseph coming and interpreting them and God providing Joseph with this tool of salvation via these dreams because Joseph is able to prove himself as a man of God as he interprets uh, the dreams. The dreams were dreams which indicated through uh, a story of cows coming out of the Nile and stories of stalks of wheat that there were going to be times of, of, of plenty in Egypt and then there were going to be times of famine. And Joseph was able to resolve those dreams for the Pharaoh as someone who was a, he was a prisoner, Joseph. And, and yet, uh, through a series of events that only God can arrange, he appears before Pharaoh and resolves and explains the dreams and is ascended to become an assistant to the king and eventually leading the country. Think about that story for a moment, how God used the vehicle of these dreams to take Joseph, who was a lowly prisoner in a cell in Egypt, and, and out of nowhere rises to being the leader. We have in Psalms, King David talks about um, out of nowhere, God can raise the lowliest uh, person on earth, the, the, the impoverished to, to great wealth, the simple person to, to leadership. And, and the message though, and this is where I really want to focus, is why does Joseph merit that? Why does Joseph merit to have these dreams serve as this vehicle? I really believe it's because of his consistency and faith and, and his, uh, being a man of spirituality, that in every situation he was put in in life, from his younger ages back home in Israel, when his brothers were jealous of him and all kinds of sibling rivalries and strife, that he's sold as a slave, he's imprisoned, he's tempted, now, through everything, he's brought before the king, He's Joseph. He's the same person, same person of truth, same person of faith. And, and that consistency is, I think, what we have to learn from him and largely why, why he was uh, rewarded. He put his faith in God, and God is able to respond in kind. And these dreams uh, were the vehicle to help raise Joseph up from the depths. And I don't have a doubt that Christianity has, has something to say about that, about that concept. You're exactly right. When you talk about a person of righteousness, a person of obedience, a person of faithfulness and integrity, and the Pharaoh had these two dreams that we've discussed, and none of the sorcerers or the wise men that supposedly worked for Pharaoh in Egypt could interpret the dreams, and so they brought this Hebrew slave before the king of Egypt. He was able to interpret the dreams. God gave him heavenly wisdom, and that caused the beginning of the promotion of Joseph, where he goes from the slave forgotten in a jail cell all the way up to the prime minister, the second in command of the country. And it's a demonstration of blessing follows obedience. Blessing follows faithfulness to the Lord. There's a parable, a teaching story by Jesus in the book of Matthew chapter 25, and the parable of the talents is that God gives you something and you're supposed to use what he's given you to the best of your ability to serve the king and all of these things. And in part of that story, the master of the story, which represents God the Father, he says to the faithful servants, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. So what Jesus is telling in the parable of the talents, Matthew 25, I think is illustrated by Joseph's life that God put him in charge of some small areas. He wasn't famous, he wasn't well-known, he wasn't powerful, but yet he was faithful and obedient in the small things, 
And the Lord rewarded that and put him in charge of many things. Now, another part of the story that I want us to discuss is the brothers of Joseph who were left behind in the land of Canaan, the land of Israel. The famine came. They were searching for food. They went down to the only country in the area that had food, and that was Egypt. Because of Joseph's wise business decisions to save during the times of plenty, to have food during during the times of drought. And the brothers come before him, not knowing that their little brother that they had wanted to kill and ended up selling as a slave is the person that they now bow down to and are begging for food. Rabbi, this guy, Joseph, had the chance to get revenge. He had the chance to say, you guys were so evil to me, and yet his heart was broken for their need. His family love and loyalty came out. He showed himself to be a man of character, a man of forgiveness, when the brothers were vulnerable, bowing down before him. Absolutely. And we have to remember, because you read the story, certainly advise anybody who wants to read an incredible, incredible story to read this, this portion. It's, it's, you, know, you talk about building up the, uh, the tension and, and trying to understand you know, where, where this is going to go. At first, it actually looks like Joseph doesn't treat the brothers uh, as we would expect him to do immediately. It says very clearly that he recognized his brothers. They did not uh, recognize him. It's in uh, chapter 42, verse 8. And then it says that Joseph remembered all the dreams, and, and it seems like he starts to get revenge on them. He accuses them of spies and gives them all kinds of trouble. But in reality, Joseph is simply trying to make sure that the brothers have learned from their mistakes in selling Joseph and regret what they did in selling Joseph before he reveals himself because he just doesn't want to be killed by them and be in a situation where they're back to their rivalry. But he was fully prepared uh, to reconcile with them, and this whole portion is building towards that reconciliation, which is amazing. As you're pointing out, Pastor, I mean, you'd think you're put in this position of leadership, you can say off with their heads to everyone, and in, 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 the, in the world that we live in and in world history, that's what people have done in these situations. And Joseph does not do that. He makes sure that they go home with food. He makes sure that his father is okay. And he does this little charade just to make sure that brothers have repented for selling him before he reveals himself. But that's an incredible, incredible quality to be able to put aside. The fact that, again, we have to remember what happened here. Brothers, I mean, I'll ask you, Pastor. I mean, we all have siblings and we have children and there are sibling rivalries. Does anyone consider, I shouldn't say consider, does anyone actually act and sell their sibling into slavery? It's something which is unthinkable. And yet Joseph does not uh, come back with retribution. And that's a biblical command that we find throughout of uh, Lotin Combe of don't take revenge. We have to be people who are willing to, to forgive. Uh, and especially in this situation where Joseph clarifies that they regret what they've done. Uh, which is a critical piece of repentance, you know, he's fully ready to, uh, to forgive them. And I know that certainly in the Christian faith, uh, this idea of, of forgiveness and, and not uh, taking revenge is a, is, a, is a major tenet. Of course, the whole story of Christianity is about forgiveness. It's about redemption. It's about sinful people going to the Lord and asking for forgiveness. And, and that's what a Savior, we believe, does, is grant forgiveness to those who seek repentance from Him. And this part of the story will pick up in next week's parasha. The conclusion of the story is tremendous, and we'll talk about it next week. But as we talk about forgiveness and we talk about family love and rivalry and, and showing grace to those who hurt me, I want us to finish our conversation of this week's Torah portion talking about the father. 
Jacob. He's had such a struggle. He's had such a difficult life as a man with all of these sons and all of these sibling rivalries. And here he is, a very old man. He feels like his beloved, his favorite son, Joseph, has been killed because he doesn't know he's now in Egypt as the second in command of the country. So talk about the struggle the father went on. And we'll, we'll preview next week's story about the, the family reunion that takes place. But talk about Jacob. I mean, you think about, you know, sometimes uh, we, as human beings, we complain about our lot in life. We complain about our situation. Here you have Jacob. He's gone through so much, first with his you know, brother Esau. Then he goes away from home, and he's there for 22 years, and he deals with this deceiving uh, father-in-law, Laban, and comes back, has this confrontation with Esau, just wants to his wife, his love of his life passes away, Rachel, and he just wants to sit and just enjoy the, the, the remaining years of his life. He's, he's an older uh, man at this point, uh, 100 plus years old, and just wants to you know, enjoy his life, and, and, and then this happens. And uh, his son is sold into slavery, but he doesn't know that. He thinks his son is dead. And he's in mourning, and he's suffering, and then the brothers go down to get food, and, and, and they, they have this trouble with this leader who happens to be Joseph, and it's an incredible thing to see you know, somebody on this high spiritual level, a righteous person, how they suffer in this world, but don't leave their faith, don't plunge, and he's in mourning, but, but uh, hold out hope about who knows what could be in the future. We don't know, we know where, what really happened, and, and, and then he's going to find out that Joseph's still alive and, and, and that, that faith was warranted and worthwhile. But the message that life is not supposed to be simple, life is not supposed to be without its challenges, the Bible is very clear about that, even for the most righteous people. Uh, God gives us tests, He gives us challenges, and, and we, we come out stronger. Uh, as we as we deal with those, that's an important important lesson to think about. Here, you're talking about one of the great forefathers. You'd think life should just be simple for him because he's so righteous, and the and the story is that it's the exact opposite. That life is full of challenges, roller coaster. Uh, you think you've passed one uh, challenge and everything will be smooth, and then the next one comes along, and 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 that's what life is all about. But we become greater and stronger because we deal with those challenges and difficulties that come our way. We do encourage our listeners to read this week's Torah portion, Genesis chapters 41 through 44, the life of Joseph. And we've used a lot of adjectives to describe him, righteous and forgiving and consistent and a man of integrity, a man of character, a man who loved God, a man who was forgiving toward those who hurt him. Wonderful lessons for those of us who love the Bible from the very interesting story of the life of Joseph. Rabbi, I always enjoy our conversations together. It's a tr- it's a treat to get to study the Bible together. Thank you. I love the discussion as well, and, and also sharing Hanukkah with all of your listeners. Uh, you know, let's all learn that lesson together about the, 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 the God's ability to perform miracles and the supernatural and, and just uh, stay strong to our faith. And uh, Hanukkah is also a time for thankfulness, uh, thanking God, but also thanking others. And I, I want to give thanks uh, to our Christian brothers and sisters who I know, uh, first of all, uh, they voted largely based on the promise about Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, but also prayed for it, also lobbied for it, and uh, we are eternally grateful in Israel for that. Thank you, my friend. Hag Sameach and Shabbat Shalom. Thank you to you as well. 
Thank you for joining us for the Lone Star Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Lone Star Podcast to learn when new episodes are ready. Please join Rabbi Dove Lipman and Pastor Trey Graham next time to expand your mind and encourage your soul. May the Lord bless you and draw you to himself this week.